BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hollywood hoop dreams aren't only made from magic. They also come in the form of original podcasts from the Hoop Ball Network. So if you're the Lakers zooming out, are you tempted to bring back DeMarcus Cousins in the playoffs? And do you disrupt the dynamic at that point if he's healthy enough to play? Join Ethan, JC, and the thriving Lakers community around the world to talk about all things Lakers. The Lakers this season has come to expect of this team is consistent winning. That is something we have not been able to say since I've seen Andrew Bynum in a Lakers uniform. The show is available everywhere podcasts are found and you can follow the show on twitter at hoopballlakers the following is a hoop bowl presentation hello and welcome it is i last with bank back with another installment on the pelican scoop we're back. I know there's been a little bit of a delay between the last episode and now, but it has been a very busy week. Um, so I hope you'll forgive me, and we have a great show. So I think we'll jump straight in. Last week we started with a game review, which I thought was quite good. I thought it was a way to be able to see who played well and who struggled a bit, what we were looking forward to for the season that was. I guess that we're, we're still waiting to come back on. There still hasn't been any information as to whether or not that hiatus will end and that the Pelicans will get to play off for the final spot in the West. So if we jump right back to Game 2, it was against Dallas and it was a home game. Quarter one, we started fast again. We came out of the blocks like we did in game one. The pace was up. There was some nice, dominant moves from Derek Favors, who we plugged in last week's episode. He did a nice up and up under. He was bullying Porzingis in the post, and you could see that he was the focal point of the offense in the first maybe six or so minutes. He had 10 points to start off. The Pels hit the first 10 of 13 shots. It showed that Dallas really didn't have an answer to the size of of Derek Favors in that first few minutes. Now, the first six minutes, Pelicans were up 22-13 to against Dallas. Then all of a sudden, the defense collapsed again. They were hitting some open threes. And 
it was one of those defensive lapses that we saw in the first game and we saw throughout the season going forward, and I'll harp on it all year, I'm, I'm sure. The defense collapses on a drive, and all of a sudden these open shooters open up. In today's NBA, you can't do that. The help defense needs to come on the driving player, but we still need to be aware that those rotations, especially on good three-point shooters, are there and that they occur. We did see a a beautiful Euro step from Drew Holiday. He went into the lane and and scored a, a bucket. And we did, however, see a bit more of the same in that we played a little bit too fast at times. Charge was drawn on Josh Hart. He did make amends about 10 seconds later in the final play and Josh Hart went to the to the basket and, and made the shot. But again, it's those mistakes where we go too fast and overthink it and don't move the ball that we get in trouble or we make the wrong pass. Sometimes we just move a little bit too quickly, which is something we'll need to work on as the season develops. And I think it really did towards the end of the season. Spoilers alert, even though I know we've, we've been watching with bated breath all year. So at the end of the first quarter, Pelicans actually scored 41 points on 72% shooting. It was 41 to 27, which was a phenomenal first quarter, and I was critical of them, but at the same time, the scoring was there, and, and 72% for a quarter is nothing to poke a stick at. So we actually started the second quarter like we did the first. Josh Hart pushed the ball, he was going coast to coast, uh, big Jalil came on and he looked skinny. As I said in the last week, he really did look skinny. He went up and, and followed the ball and uh, dunked it back home. Lonzo Ball's three-point shot is still a work in progress. He changed that form in the offseason, but his legs just aren't under him with his three-pointers. He, he stiff arms them. They fall short a lot. Unfortunately, we looked a bit gassed. We ran ourselves ragged at the pace we were playing, and Dallas dragged it back to three points with five minutes left in the half, which, when you're up a substantial amount, double digits, all of a sudden, you're shaking your head going, how has this happened? Lonzo's defense is still a problem. He's playing great. For other teams, it's an absolute... uh, He's a menace, and he caused a good steal from this pass uh, anticipation, and that, I think, translates from his ability to read the play, and that's something that he's always been good at. That's how he makes those fantastic passes. Porzingis, though, was a bit too long. He gave us a lot of trouble, and that was something that I think was obvious the entire game, and it also was obvious uh, with the Dallas run going as quickly as it did to drag it back to three points. Favors turned the ball over uncharacteristically. It was just a sloppy pass, went out of bounds uh, off the inbounds play. Um, And there was just a turnover out of the timeout, and that was just something that we didn't need. Then Brandon Ingram started stepping up again, and he he took KP to the rack a couple of times. And that was something that uh, I'm liking, his aggression. We talked about him last couple of weeks that B.I. really looks like he wants to be the man, and we're happy with that. Uh, Dallas went on a run, and and that ended the quarter, uh, 72-64 to to Dallas. So a great quarter from Dallas, not so good from the New Orleans Pelicans, which we weren't really impressed with, considering how well we played in the first quarter. 
In the third quarter, there was good patience from Lonzo and then Drew and a lot of passing, waiting for the correct shot. We started to surge, but then a stat popped up on the screen, and as, as you know, I talked about it last week, uh, the NBA league passes showing the entire season for free, maybe even older games. You don't even need a credit card or anything. You can just log in into your account and, and watch these games. That's how I've been doing it. But there was 10 turnovers by the midway of the third. You can't win games if you don't take care of the ball. So the Pelicans really need to focus on looking after the ball, making good decisions. And you could see it a bit with, with Lonzo and Drew and the point guard's role to slow the ball down and control the pace, control the tempo. So to see that was good. But again, 10 turnovers is too much. And I'm, I'd say a lot of them came in, in that second quarter. Lonzo took another couple of threes. He hit two of eight from three in the third quarter. That's where he was up to by the middle of the third quarter. And it is the same thing. His legs just aren't under him with those shots. And that's something that he really will need to work on. With two minutes left in the quarter, it was an eight-point game. Josh Hart came on, as the bench tends to do about midway through the quarter, and he played some fantastic defense. He actually sparked a run, and he dragged it back to three points. Frank Jackson hit a couple of big threes, and that bench provided the spark. So even though I was critical of the bench in last week's game, in game one, you know, they really stepped up in this this quarter to, to drag us back. In, going into the fourth, it was 95 to 93 to the Mavs. But then two minutes later, we're back out to 10. Just silly turnovers, brain lapses, and all of a sudden Dallas are away with it. And you shake your head because we just played some fantastic basketball just to throw it all away. Alexander Walker hit a big three. Uh, after some patient passing, they moved the ball left to right, left to right, and then he got a good shot, hit that. Then Josh Hart stepped up again, big coast to coast. He took the foul and then made the fallaway shot. And that was something that we desperately needed and it sparked the crowd. It sparked um, the team as well. He missed the free throw, but Melly, he followed it and dunked it back in. So, you know, things like that, all of a sudden, it's tied back up. Awesome. And you're on the edge of your seat again. Now, something that we talked about in Game 1, and it was obvious again in Game 2, was failing to secure the defensive rebound. Your defensive possession does not end until you have secured that rebound. Porzingis was absolutely killing us on that end. He'd get those um, defensive rebounds and get the second chance points. Frank Jackson stepped up. He had good shot clock awareness. He knew when to take the shots, how much... um, time he had to make the shot and he did that, he forced a turnover Josh Hart again, he forced himself into the paint got a fourth foul on KP and over the limit for Dallas BI worked for the matchup on Kleber, they were doing a switch all the time and Maxi Kleber found himself on Brandon Ingram a bit and Ingram, yeah, he worked hard against him, every time he got that switch he did really well, a big issue was as well, we sort of rushed, we took some early three point attempts which if you miss those Long shots equals long rebounds. And all of a sudden, Dallas is away to the races and they've scored at the other end. It just blows you out and all of your hard work that you did to drag yourself back in is just wasted. So that's another thing. Patience, patience, patience. I think I said the exact same thing last week and it is frustrating to watch because this team has so, so much potential. 
Drew Holiday stepped up. He took on Porzingis, went at him because he knew he had those four fouls. And he did well, you know. A guy that's half your size is taking you on. You think you're in with a chance. And Drew Holiday held his own, absolutely. He also defended on Donkic. And then Donkic just hit this huge three. We did nothing wrong. Donkic was just better. Better offense than the great defense. You know, in this one, Donchich um, triple-doubled. Then we had great defense. And we we caused this turnover. And it looks like, hey, we're on here. We could do okay. And then all of a sudden, Brandon Ingram does a lazy pass, turnover, and they score at the other end with 25 seconds left. Or goes out of bounds um, with 25 seconds left. You know, it, it's basically over from there. Wright pulled the ball out of Hart's hands on the rebound. 14 seconds left. Dallas is up 121 to 116. And it finished 123 to 116. It was disappointing to lose by seven points when really it was a game that probably should have gone to overtime and Pelicans should have won if we based it just off the first quarter. Unfortunately, it's those four-quarter efforts that we really need to focus on. But I did put some key takeaways together. You know, it's only 0-2 on the season. We're only very, very early. The first key takeaway is that this is still Drew's team. When the ball needs to get in the bucket, Drew's the guy to orchestrate that. He plays his absolute skin off every game, and you know, that's something that you just can't teach. He is the true leader, the spiritual leader and actual leader, and it is definitely still his team. Brandon Ingram is a legitimate threat. He is a great player. He's taken that next step as we talked about. He's long, he looks stronger, and he looks more confident, and that is something that I think will hold him in good stead going forward for the rest of the season as we saw him develop even further. In game two, Lonzo Ball's three-point shot still needs work. Still needs a lot of work. His legs aren't under him. The aim's not bad. It's just not strong enough. And I I know we see him develop a bit more throughout the season as well, but in these early stages, there was a lot of hype about his redeveloped three-point shot and jump shot in general, but it still needed a bit of work, him getting his eye in. And... Heart, heart by name, heart by nature. He played his absolute socks off. Fantastic game. He is the heart and soul of this team. And he doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. He doesn't mind taking the charge. He doesn't mind doing the things that go unnoticed. And that is something that you can't teach. And I think it holds us in good stead going forward that Hart can come off the bench and lead us on these runs. So that's something that we should look forward to going forward. So that's the game two. Another loss. We're all two on the season, and I think next week we'll talk about game three, and we'll work our way through. I mean, that'll get us to 60 or so episodes, I guess. But uh, that was definitely interesting to go back and see game two against an upstart Dallas team, which we saw where they ended up. They're way up in the West. A very good side, led by Porzingis and Luka Doncic. And... Yeah, I think we held our own for the most part with a young side. There was nine new players hitting the squad this year. So to get those guys assimilated and playing well, you know, it takes a bit of time. So I think that's why they go on this run after the All-Star break because all of a sudden they know who they're playing with each other. I mean, half of them came from the Lakers, so they played together anyway. But new role, new system. Alvin Gentry had a big task ahead of him in his... He's doing okay. We just need to get fitter. If we're going to run him off the court, we need to be fitter. And that's something we'll have to focus on 
going forward. So yeah, next week we will have a look at Game 3, which is the other end of this back-to-back, which is against the Houston Rockets. And that was an interesting game as well. I've watched that one, and that one's already... The notes are taken, so wait with bated breath for me to come back with that one. But a good thing that you can do if you want to get a little bit of a hoops fix is turn off the spoilers and go and watch games that you didn't watch earlier on in the season. You might have heard about them and you might have seen um, that they win this or win that, but if you haven't and you and you don't remember, then go back and, and do that because it is a little way to see some games you haven't seen before and you also pick things up watching the games live than when you just see the stats on the piece of paper. You know, I'm a fantasy buff, that's what my origin story is, I guess, is fantasy basketball um, fanatic. So for me, watching those guys and seeing these guys that don't necessarily do well on fantasy but are good basketballers is eye-opening. And you you start falling in love with the game again, which I um, have found has been refreshing. So yeah, that has been that. So now the game two is out of the way. We might as well jump into a bit more of the history stuff. I've been thoroughly enjoying learning about all of the previous teams that graced the gymnasiums of New Orleans prior to the current day New Orleans Pelicans. So we're going to fast forward from where we left off with the New Orleans sports last episode and fast forward to the New Orleans Buccaneers. So... It's 1967, and the ABA was found, the American Basketball Association, and a charter franchise was awarded to a group of seven investors, which means that you could get a discount on owning an NBA franchise at the time, about $1,000 as opposed to 30000 for the other original teams, And the New Orleans Buccaneers qualified as that. So that was a a charter franchise, one of the inaugural teams in the ABA. Babe McCarthy was named as the first ever head coach. He was originally from Mississippi State University as their head coach of the basketball team. And among the team's first players were Doug Moe, Larry Brown, Gerald Govan, Jimmy Jones and Red Robbins. So the Buccaneers, in their inaugural season, the 67-68 season, played their home games at Loyola University Fieldhouse and averaged 2,300 and change fans per game. In that season, the Buccaneers were actually one of the best teams in the league. They made the championship uh, against the Pittsburgh Pipers. So... The first six games of that championship season were split and the Pipers ended up pulling out a convincing win, 122 to 113, to win the inaugural ABA championship in 1968. In that season, Larry Brown was named Most Valuable Player of the inaugural ABA All-Star Game. Jimmy Jones was in the All-Star game. Babe McCarthy was the coach of the West in the in the game. And other awards, Doug Moe was named in the first team All-ABA. Jimmy Jones made the ABA All-Rookie team. And 
the Buccaneers finished the season in first place, the West Division, with 48 wins, 30 losses. So a fairly successful season for their first year of the ABA. In the second season, 1968-1969 season, prior to the season, Buccaneers traded away Larry Brown, Doug Moe, for Steve Jones and Ron Franz to the Oakland Oaks. Again, the Buccaneers were quite good. They met the Dallas Chaparrales in Western Division semifinals and won four games to three and made it to the West Finals where they lost to the Oakland Oaks four games to none. So they got swept after they traded two of their good players there, which is a little embarrassing. The Oakland Oaks actually finished the season with a 60-18 and 18 record and... The fans of the Buccaneers actually increased. The attendance at games was up to 2,800 per game, which is which is quite good at the time. And we finished the season, well, the Buccaneers finished the season, 46 wins, 32 losses, and they were second in the West. So another success, moderately successful season. Uh, the third and final season, as it turns out, was 1969 to 1970, and the Buccaneers had moved their games from... Loyola University Fieldhouse to Tulane Gym which is now called the Devlin Fieldhouse and also split up with the Municipal Auditorium Jimmy Jones suffered a knee injury and so he was out for most of the season but he was still picked as an ABA All-Star Babe McCarthy was the coach of the West again Steve Jones, Gerald Govan were also named All-Stars that year which was good we finished with 42 and 42, 50% or 500 for the season. And we were last in the season's highly competitive Western Division. So a big drop-off, and it kept us out of the playoff. In the East, it meant we would have finished third in the division, but unfor- or in the conference, but unfortunately uh, the West was too competitive and the attendance had dropped off. After... That season, it was obvious that New Orleans wasn't very financially sound, and the team was actually renamed the Louisiana Buccaneers. It would play its game throughout New Orleans, Chevrolet Point, Lafayette, Monroe, and Baton Rouge, and the drop-off of the consistent gym and home ground meant that people just weren't going to the games. So there weren't as, I suppose attached to the team because you wouldn't see them as often. It was more of a state team rather than a actual city team where the same fans could go every week. Unfortunately, in August 1970, the franchise was purchased by a new owner and it was moved to Memphis and renamed the Memphis Pros. In 2009, the Pelicans did a Bucks throwback outfit. They did some highlights and honoured those players and... Um, they did end up losing to the Cleveland Cavaliers 92-78 in that game. But again, it was a, a nice throwback and acknowledgement of things that had happened before. So I think it's important that we get this feel of, yeah, we're the Pelicans now. We've got guys with big names, Zion, Brandon Ingram, JJ Redick, Lonzo Ball, all of these flashy names. But New Orleans was a basketball city for a lot longer than just this final Pelicans brand. And that is something that I think we should all appreciate, and it's nice to get to know and see what actually happened back then. So yeah, next week we'll have a chat about the next team, and if you have any queries or anything, feel free to tweet me at Lyle Swithenbank, L-Y-L-E-S-W-I-T-H-E-N-B-A-N-K. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, 
Snapchat, Facebook. Make sure you jump over on Sunday mornings as well in Perth time or Saturday nights for Saturday Night Live on Facebook Live, hoop-ball.com or search Hoop Ball on Facebook and that'll come up. So before we wrap it up, I saw an article today looking at the five most used Pelicans lineup throughout the season. There were six of their top-ranking players were out for a combined 99 games, being Zion Williamson, Derek Favors, Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, and JJ Redick. And it meant that it meant that Alvin Gentry was forced to use a few different lineups throughout the season. The five lineups that Alvin used the most. Firstly, Drew Holiday, D Favors, B Ingram, L Ball, Z Williamson. So that played 17 games together, 230 minutes total. The offensive rating was 117.6, a point nine, sorry. Defensive rating was 91.6, net rating 26.3 if you're into the analytics. They won nine, lost eight. The next used lineup was for 146 minutes. JJ Redick, Drew Holiday, D Favors, B Ingram, L Ball. Win 11, lose 10. Offensive rating 114.8. Defensive rating 115.9 and 115.7, sorry, down 1.0. The next used lineup, 92 minutes, Jay Reddick, D Favors, B Ingram, L Ball, J Hart. So it went 8 and 5 on the season with that lineup. 106.2 offensive rating, 117.2 defensive rating, down negative 11, which is a bit brutal. The next was 90 minutes they played together. JJ Reddick, Jay Holiday, B Ingram, K Williams, Jay Hayes. Five and eight that went. 118 offensive rating, 100 defensive rating, 18.4 positive, which bodes well for those guys. In 84 minutes, and this was the fifth most used team. Jay Reddick, Jay Holiday, B Ingram, L Ball, Jay Hayes went six and ten wins, not win loss, six wins, ten losses. 97.5 offensive rating, 107. Point seven defensive rating, negative 10.3 net rating overall, which was not real good for us. But it was obvious that that first starting five of Holiday, Favors, Ingram, Ball, Williamson absolutely decimated some teams. Yeah, we only went 9-8 and eight in that win-loss, but you only saw a snippet of Zion Williamson. And I think if we can keep those five together... There's some dangerous times ahead for other teams in the West. And you never know, they could end up jumping ahead and make it into the top eight should the season had have continued. 26 per 100, or points per 100 possessions with them on the floor, those five. The second best mark of any lineup that logged at least 100 minutes in the entire NBA. And it was clear, even watching the games now without Zion, um, and they've only just played together in, in game two that we talked about earlier, you could see that their length really troubled other opponents, and the pass disruption and the steals that come from 
picking off errant passes from their opponents was highlighted going further and deeper into the season when those five played together and they got their rhythm. So it'll be exciting times next year or when this NBA comes back as to what we actually see and how this plays out. But I think at the moment all we can do is wait with bated breath to get an update as to how this season recovers and how we get to resolve who wins the season and whether or not Pelicans make the playoff, because I think they could challenge any team at this point. I don't think the first half of the season reflects that final 10 games with Zion back and the guys gelling and playing well. It's something that we'll now never know and always be asking, what if? I don't think we beat the Lakers in seven games, but I think they would have definitely caused a bit of trouble. So to finish off, I'd just like to thank... The article written by Christian Clark, staff writer. Um, the contributors to the information I found on the Buccaneers. And anyone else who's contributed to this podcast, make sure you head over to hoop-ball.com for a full breakdown by Eric Ong on the Pelican season. There is a very, very good article on there that our own Hoop Balls Eric Ong has written. So make sure you go and have a look at that. And I think for now we'll wrap it up. I'll speak to you all again next week. As always, I'm Lyle Swithenbank. This is the Pelican Scoop on the hoop-ball.com network. Bye for now. This has been a HoopBall presentation. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.